0: Snippet. The short podcast platform.
1: We do it every show. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's our meal ticket. Hit. Is a hit. It's a hit. Man. We do the whole thing. Extended version with drum solo. I'm not kidding. Let's give it. One, two, three. three. Yeah. Oh,
2: that's the wrong thing. Oh,
1: boy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen in the show. One, two, three. Yeah.
0: Oh. <laughs> Well,
1: she sneaks around the world
0: From Kiev
1: to Carolina She's a steep finger filter From Berlin down to Belize She'll take you for a ride On a slow boat to China I Tell me where in the world is
0: Garmin San Diego
1: Meets <laughs> 90s
0: Today on the show, we'll go back in time to when singing together as a group of men wasn't quite cool yet. It was Rockapella that started the acapella craze because they were the house band on the show Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? So let's start at the beginning. How did a rise to fame happen? How did an art form that nobody really knew anything about suddenly reach mainstream kids and parents everywhere on this massive game show? What were the Rockapella guys doing before they got the phone call?
1: Okay. Everybody had day jobs, and you know, we'd like when we felt like it. We were singing on the corner of Seventy-six and Columbus, on the Upper West Side of New York City. People the, started throwing business cards in the hat, like yeah. go do parties and bar mitzvahs, and so there was a rock was known in the in the Northeast in New York yeah. City. We were doing uh, clubs there and stuff like that, so there was like a cult following in the area. And PBS said, "Would you like to be the house band?" On a new show called Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, we said, yes, we're singing on the street. Can't you tell? We'll do anything <laughs> you'd like us to do if you're going to actually pay us money. So we thought it would just kind of be a little thing. We'd do it for a couple of years. But man, here we are 25 years later still living off it because it was a big deal. And you know, when I watch the show now, they, there are a lot of clips on YouTube and stuff of Rockapella on that show. It was such a good show. It was so creative. The producers were great. The producers the technique behind it, the art behind it, the, the scenery, the and Greg Lee, the host, and Lynn Thigpen, the other co-star. It was such a well-done series. You don't see that many kind of shows like that. Educational, but also really fun
0: and well-done. So it's probably been a while since you've tried to find that mysterious, wide-brimmed hat-wearing woman somewhere on planet Earth. So let's remind you, Kerman San Diego was a computer game first, where you play a detective who's trying to capture and thwart the vile ringleader, Carmen Sandiego. It focused on teaching you geography, but later branched out into history, math, English, and other subjects. So the TV show pretty much tried to do the same thing, where kids played detectives trying to locate Carmen through three game show-type rounds. And it was massively popular. It won a daytime Emmy almost every year it was on the air. It won the Peabody Award in 1993, and it made Rockapella famous. So what was their involvement in the show? Let's have the guys remind us of that.
1: We sang the theme song every day, and then we had our special thing. We actually did, like, skits, too. I would be like the word on the street where I would talk about stuff, and then we'd do characters, and we were like the monkeys, you know. We started out as just four guys, okay. and then we added Jeff, maybe the last season or so, he was on that show as well. Because we, we started out without vocal percussion, but Jeff, who does vocal percussion, <laughs> he tried to be funky, so we added some funky to it. So how exactly did it go? In the first round... You would give clues to the answer to the question, because they're trying to catch the crook, because Carmen Sandiego, she's the head of the villains, and then she had all these henchmen, like these different crooks, that had double trouble and uh, Mm. serenade and of Brute and the second round. It was like Jeopardy. We had three contestants on their on the mics on their at their desks, and they would ask questions, and they would they would give you clues in different ways. Like there'd be like a little actor, a little segment, or there'd be Rockapella doing like a musical clue, or that you'd re lyric "My Girl" or some classic song. And
0: finally, the third round that would crown our winning detective. They had a map on the floor of one of a
1: continent, you know, and they had and they would call out the country. You had to go put the poll on the country and you had to do that at certain amount of in, within 60 seconds so it was three different great game in the first year we did yeah. it. the first year we did it they did the thing from start to finish first front game middle game end game straight through and it was live and it was like so taxing but then by the end they figured out hey let's do all the middle games Get, let's do all the first front oh, and middle games, and then they did all the maps when they had the like they did all the Africa's. You know, they would do those all together that, that one week, and then they'd have a week of Europe, and then they'd have a week of Asia, and then and so they figured out how. To, and we would pre-tape all of our clues, which were pretty involved, in the lyrics were, and the production, and the costumes, and everything. We would do those all before the show. This season actually started, so they figured out how to do it more efficient.
0: Boy Meets Nineties will be right back. So somehow, more than 20 years later, Carmen Sandiego remains a household name. In fact, I even remember the parodies of Carmen Sandiego where they tried to find the Today Show host Matt Lauer on some mystery country on the planet. It permeated pop culture and it still is well known. What made that show so memorable? What made it so
2: special? was in front of children every day after school. was that a fair statement? It seems Absolutely. like, it like late there, were, there weren't
1: so many channels then too and, and as well you know Rockcapella hit right when the internet started. I mean when the email and, and people started to get on consumers were on the internet. yeah so we've always had this really savvy computer fan base. so and as the, as the internet has grown and the access to that old material stuff it's just kind of perpetuated itself. Over the years. So, so it's, cool. it's interesting to see what it meant to a lot of people, you know, because I I don't I kind of threw it away. I'm like, oh, God. So it was a lot of work. Like, yeah. we would get up so early and go six weeks of like pumping out this stuff. And I was like, it was tiring. So I kind of had it in that compartment in my life. Like, oh, good Lord. But now I'm like, oh, people really like that. And now that I see it kind of objectively, I'm like, oh, it was a pretty good show. You don't see that kind of stuff mm-hmm. every day. Um, I watched Carmen yoga growing up myself. This is Steve talking. And, um, you know, the guy's. You know, you, you recognize Scott with the iconic hair and Jeff's incredible talent with the beatbox. And they, they had an audition back in 2010 for a new guy. And, um, you know, I saw it and went for it And here we are sitting here today. And, yeah. But uh, the group has evolved over time. But the, the sound and, and the mm. the arrangements, I
2: think, are so uniquely Rockapella. We try not to take a backward step if somebody retires. It just, right. You just, know, keeps you just moving keep moving forward. forward yeah. As
0: we touched on, Rockapella truly was a groundbreaking group. Acapella in the 90s certainly wasn't what it is today with TV shows like Glee, movies like Pitch Perfect, with every college campus in this country having an acapella group or three. Nobody really knew what to make of it at the time. It was a clever
1: idea to have an acapella group. Because, you know, contemporary acapella did not exist. I mean, there was the Nylons in the 80s, a group from Canada, but nobody really knew them in America. And then rockapella was the first thing to kind of break through. And radio and record companies did not know what to do with contemporary, with rockapel. They were like, this doesn't sound like anything. It's kind of like, what is it, barbershop, quartet, glee club? What is it? So we had to find other ways to get exposure. So TV was the answer with Karma San Diego. And then our other greatest hit was, the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Wait, that
0: was you? Yep, that was them. One,
1: two, three. Every day I wake up, for myself a cup of that rich Folgers aroma. Best part of waking up is that do you up in all I do. Man, I'm gonna remember always Nick. coming through. Always coming through. All the best part of
0: waking up is Folgers in your cup. Our greatest hit. I don't know about you at home, but that just gets me, man. <laughs> I remember the Folgers commercial better than anything that we've talked about on this show yet. Unbelievable, so fun. Anyway, let's finish with uh, our favorite question on Saved by the 90s. What made the 90s so special for these guys in particular? Any piece of pop culture, any TV show, any game, fashion
2: statement? What was the 90s to you? I'm a I'm an 80s kid. That's like high school and college, ground yeah. zero for me. And I think that there was so much, whether it was supported by corporate record labels or not, there was so much colorful stuff being pumped out constantly with music videos being new and everything that the 90s were like a hangover from that. Mm -hmm. And so you get a lot of the different kind of creativity. You get the grunge and you get the, um, you know, we were kind of a hybrid, I would say, on if you look at Carmen Sandiego, the colorfulness of it all is kind of an 80s hangover in a good way. Yeah. So you kind of got this incredible, like, combination of grunge and darkness and fun and dance music started happening more in computers. So it was a very interesting time. And what else would you want to listen to but interesting? You know, it's weird because
1: when I grew up as a kid you think the 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 decade you're growing up in is so boring like oh i wish it was the 50s i wish it was the 70s you know that's so cool but it doesn't get it gets kind of like packaged later on like it takes about 20 30 years and then that decade gets packaged like i'm like what was interesting about the 90s because you're living every day so you're not even thinking about would this be memorable in 25 years but it's funny now you see nirvana and you see carmen san diego and you see Stuff like that. Two creative. things I often put in the same sentence, yeah, by the way.
0: You, interesting.
2: Always. <laughs>
1: yeah, Very interesting. There he yeah. is.
2: I get Kurt Cobain a lot with my hair. But, uh, I think, you know, the 80s were just kind of throw it out there. Look at this stuff we can do with video and look at this stuff with uh, uh, sequencing sim- synthesizers and stuff like that. Then the 90s come along and it's more conscious. It's like, oh, okay, well, let's construct something now that we know how to do this. Let's make, let's react. Let's make Britney yeah. Spears. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anything else to add, guys, before we leave?
1: No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright. One,
1: two, three. Yeah. Where in the world is Garmin
0: San Diego.
1: Meets 90s. Meets 90s.
0: This has been another episode of Boy Meets 90s, reliving 90s and early 2000s nostalgia with me, Tyler Russell, editing and audio design from Steph Weaver Weinberg. Find more short original shows at snippet.fm.